Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. This week on the show, we're talking state budget. We discussed the budget last week with Representatives Blackwell and Meyer, but now we actually have an actual budget in hand with votes this week. We're going to talk to a couple of key education advocates for their take on the budget. Then we're talking to two journalists who've been covering the budget process about how this all came together and what's before we talk on the topic, we open with our headlines, a quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. The House and Senate unveiled their new two-year budget compromise bill this week and moved quickly to schedule votes in both chambers. As of taping, no formal word yet on whether Governor Cooper intends to veto it, although he has criticized the budget as fiscally irresponsible and one that shortchanges the middle class and public education in favor of tax cuts for the wealthy and corporations. So, pretty good signal that a veto may be coming. House and Senate leaders, on the other hand, held their budget for its investments in education, particularly teacher pay, as well as its large tax cuts that they say benefit nearly all taxpayers. The final proposal includes a 3.3% increase, average increase in for teachers in the first year and 9.6% over two years of the budget and increases bonuses for, for our state's most veteran teachers in the compromised version after being excluded from the Senate version. In our first segment, we'll talk about some more of these specifics. Teacher turnover at schools serving high, student, um, high poverty student populations is a statewide challenge, including in districts like Wake County that enjoys, frankly, some of the lowest over, overall turnover rates. Wake County Public Schools recently released findings from a project with Harvard University's Strategic Data Project. The study showed that some, some higher poverty schools in the, in the Wake County District see 20% staff turnover each year as teachers transfer to schools often serving more affluent students and families. The end result is our least effective teachers, which frankly are just teachers starting out in their careers, are serving students who would most benefit from experienced, high-caliber teachers. Wake is using the data to understand the issue better and to explore strategies to lessen turnover overall, especially in harder-to-staff schools. Finally, U.S. Secretary of Education Betsy DeVos has directed her Office of Civil Rights at the Department of Education to scale back its investigations of discrimination and civil rights concerns in our country's schools. The department says it will continue to enforce the anti-discrimination laws, but will curtail its efforts that expanded under President Obama to broaden investigations of incidents when it appears systemic issues may exist. The department says this will expedite cases being resolved, while critics say that thorough examination of discrimination will be sacrificed for efficiency. And it's more important than ever to get to the root cause of these incidents. Remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org and click on Education Matters and read more about each of these headlines as well as other topics we cover each week. As I said at the top of the show, we're going to talk specifics about the budget compromise that rolled out this week with two key players in education policy that are joining us today. We have Mark Jewell uh, returning to the show, president of North Carolina Association of Educators, or NCAE. And we have our friend Catherine Joyce also uh, making a return visit to Education Matters. Catherine is the executive director of the North Carolina Association of School Administrators, and in that role represents uh, uh, school superintendents, principals, assistant principals, anyone in sort of leadership in school. So thank you both for being here. I'm going to jump right in. Sure. Um, uh, obviously 
usually one of the big headlines because it's such a major part of the budget were salaries. Yes. Uh, teacher yes. salaries. Mark, yeah. you represent, uh, NCA represents teachers in North Carolina. What do you think? Yes, uh, we would echo what the governor says. We think that this budget shortchanges public education in North Carolina. When you look at this uh, salary proposal, uh, we have about 10 steps where teachers receive $300 or less. It uh, has no pay increases at the beginning entry level. And again, teachers with 25 years and beyond receive a nominal pay increase of around $300. So it does nothing really to recruit and retain experienced educators into North Carolina. And might I say, this is when we have a major teacher shortage crisis. Uh, we look at resources are underfunded again. Uh, our textbook funding is still about uh, $20 million below where we were in pre-recession around 2008 and we have 90,000 extra students since then and again when you look at uh, vouchers we have an increase of uh, uh, funding by about 45 million that are going to pr unaccountable private schools and uh, pretty much uh, what we consider an, an ATM uh, card for vouchers where we have uh, money that's going to, uh, to unaccountable resources. So very, very disappointing. We would support the governors and we hope that uh, uh, the, uh, the General Assembly would do so as well. Okay. Well, Catherine, I'll ask you now. We saw some, you heard what Mark had to say about the, the teacher raises. Another piece of this I know is a priority for your organization. Um, is to get some um, increases for our principals, which we pointed out, I think, the last time you were here, that our principals in North Carolina are ranked 50th nationally in terms of, teach, uh, in terms of pay, average pay. So were you pleased with what you saw come out this week? I think, I think we're absolutely um, very appreciative that there's a $35 million investment um, by the General Assembly in, in increasing principal and assistant principal compensation. And principals have ranked 50th in the nation out of 51 states, counting the District of Columbia, and this is the right priority at the right time to start doing something for them this year. What did you think about the, uh, the, some of the components of it? We had Representative Blackwell on last week, and he, he talked about some of the incentives and, and longevity and hard to stop. I mean, do, do you like the mix? Is it something that you'd like to see the legislature continue to sort of evaluate uh, to make sure it's having the right impact? Well, certainly we were, first of all, very appreciative that we maintained a salary schedule for both assistant principals and principals. The legislature had earlier talked about just throwing out the whole system and going with a block grant, which would let uh, school districts decide how to pay each and every principal and assistant principal. And we thought that would be counterproductive. So we're, we're pleased that there is a scale that's, that sets a floor and has some career progression um, movement opportunities for principals and assistant principals. We like the bonus program that's there for principals and think that's a good supplement. And this is new, so we'll have to see if there are tweaks that are needed and work to refine it moving forward. Gotcha. Well, Mark, you kind of got into this a little bit. There's, some, there's a lot of other spending around education in there, but there's also, um, when you talk to teachers, and I talk to teachers mm -hmm. too, we hear they, they, they appreciate the salary increases, but there's a lot of things that have been um, cut um, since you know, over the last decade and haven't Absolutely. been recovered since. What, what do you hear? Uh, the, the same thing. It's, uh, we have a lot of ground to catch up with. Uh, we were hopeful that the governor's budget would uh, take hold. That was a long-term strategic plan to return North Carolina to number one in the southeast in teacher pay and to the national average. Uh, this falls clearly well short when most of our experienced teachers have received a little of a pay raise over the past 
last eight years. Uh, resources are a big issue right now. The last time a textbook was really adopted in North Carolina was 2005. They are absolutely falling apart if you go into our schools. Mm. You talk to parents, they need books at home. Technology, of course, we, uh, uh, we support digital learning, but you can't completely go away from the textbook, particularly in rural areas and high poverty where they may not have access to Wi-Fi or to libraries on every corner. Speaking of other of reductions, uh, Catherine, I want to ask you, there's a, uh, a pretty big cut for district offices. Uh, in fact, if the my calculations that I've seen are correct, it would take um, the funding for the superintendent's offices and the central offices down to about the same level as they were 20 years ago in 1996. Thoughts? That's problematic. It's, it's something that, that we raised concerns with both House and Senate as the budget was coming together. We think there's really not an appreciation for the work that central office does in supporting principals, teachers, and students in our schools. And right now our central office funding already stands at only 1% of our state funding. That's just 1%? Just 1%. Just 1%. That's a pretty low management ratio. Right. What about uh, from your perspective, Mark, on things like, well, we've seen central office cuts and, and cuts at the Department of Public Instruction. I think sometimes yeah. those things get sort of thrown out, well, these are just bureaucrats. But, I mean, are, they, are those roles important to, uh, to teachers? Absolutely. They're clearly important. DPI, those, those positions actually help to support teachers, particularly our young teachers, particularly those in rural and uh, in high poverty areas. So that support is not going to be there, and our kids are ultimately going to suffer because of it. Right. Uh, sure, Catherine, you're sort of your, your last word. I mean, one of the things um, uh, is, uh, is about this overall spending for the central offices, and I know your members have some are, are worried about um, the class size reductions. Um, any thought about the fact that those weren't included in the budget? So you think that that's going to be taken care of? I, I stand by what I've said on earlier shows, that we have a commitment that the General Assembly will fund enhancement teachers in year two okay. of the biennium. So we're going to watch for that and make sure that happens, right? Uh, and uh, Mark, any last word for you? Uh, again, I think that North Carolina students deserve better than the budget that's come out from the House and the Senate. Great. Thanks both for, for you being here today. We'll have you back on as yeah. we continue to roll this out. Before we go to break, see if you can answer this question. About 51% of North Carolina public school students are non-white now. What percentage of teachers are non-white? Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly answer A, 20%? That's right, even though our schools and our state overall is becoming increasingly diverse with more than half of the students being of color, our teaching workforce is still overwhelmingly white, about 80%. We're back to talk more about the state budget with two leading reporters who cover the General Assembly and education news in general. We have Colin Campbell. Colin is with the News and Observer and also the Insider. We'll be the new editor of that uh, uh, publication. And we have Jess Clark. Jess is with WUNC Radio, covers education for WUNC. So thank you both for being here. Uh, and I have on the screen, by the way, I have your Twitter handles. If you are a political person, uh, you need to follow Colin Campbell at Raleigh Reporter. It's a good follow. And Jess, certainly, if you're covering, interested in education specifically, Jess is also a great one. So look for there on the Chirons. But Colin, let me ask you. You've been following this thing pretty uh, closely. How did this um, sort of the compromise come together? I mean, it, you know, it's, it's, it's always kind of interesting. You sort of the Senate has their version, the House, and the, sort of what the horse trading goes on. What were you picking up as far as what were the, um, 
I don't know, sort of the big issues they had to get through? You know, I think the big things were obviously tax cuts. The House wanted uh, smaller tax cuts. That, of course, on the education side frees up more money for uh, other spending. The Senate wanted bigger tax cuts. That leaves you with less revenue to work with. Uh, so that had to be worked out, and they kind of came out in the middle with that and sort of pushing off the tax cut plan until next year. Um, and then on the, the teacher raise side of things, uh, the House really wanted uh, to focus more on the veteran teachers. The Senate has been pushing for a while now that they want teachers to hit the top of the pay scale at about 15 years in, uh, the idea being that that's sort of similar to other professions. You don't have to wait 25 years in the job to get to the top of the pay scale. Uh, the House seems to have won that battle to some degree. Uh, the raises seem to focus on teachers with uh, 17 to 23 years of experience will be getting the biggest raises, uh, but across the board, everybody gets something. So that's sort of where things stand on on that side and, and where they came out after a few weeks of negotiation. Did you think this, I mean, did, did it, Did it? you know, I remember, I, don't, I think you were covering it then too, it was two years ago that it stretched into September. And when I saw, when the budget first came out and I saw the number, really the tax cut number was, it was, at that point, it was about a $600 million difference. And I'm thinking, how are they going to get closer, but like I said, it was a like, I guess, of a combination. Was it surprising to you that it moved fairly quickly behind the scenes? Yeah, you know, after the year where they went into September and we had to keep having uh, temporary budgets just to keep state government running through the summer, uh, to actually be in a position where they can hit the June 30th deadline to get a budget this year is a, a little bit surprising. But I think they agreed to a lot of stuff before they started the process. So they uh, are getting a little better at this whole negotiating thing amongst Republicans. <laughs> there you go. Well, Jess, uh, education is always uh, front and center. It's a, one of the single largest uh, uh, you know, investments that the state makes. So what were the key things you were watching as an education reporter as the budget first as it was introduced and then as we got to a um, what are really going to be the final budget this week? Yeah, I think uh, teacher raises were one of the biggest things. That's something that everyone pretty much keeps their eye on in education. Um, there was the budget, um, I think the, the increase in education spending, um, about a third of that increase is going towards teacher raises. Um, and those range from zero to 7%. Um, so if you're just entering, if you're just entering your career as a teacher, you will make the same as teachers who entered the profession last year. Um, and then as Colin said, um, the people towards the, the middle and end of their career are going to make um, larger increases, up to 7%, so several thousand dollar increase. Right. What else are you looking at in terms of a sort of now is it sort of, okay, now we'll have it. I mean, what are the other pieces as, as a reporter in covering education? Are, do you, are you covering now? Or are you planning on covering as part of it? Uh, I think the principal pay system overhaul is really interesting. Uh, as Catherine was saying, um, North Carolina is at the very bottom of the nation in terms of principal pay. Um, I think we're battling it out with West Virginia for the lowest um, uh, principal salaries in That's the whole. That's not a good place to be. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just guessing, right? <laughs> um, so, uh, so uh, this this uh, this uh, budget would significantly boost the 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 floor for principal pay. So right now, um, the average average principal pay in North Carolina is about sixty thousand dollars. This would boost it to about seventy thousand um, dollars, and just just the beginning, the base pay for a principal in the in the budget plan is I think about sixty one thousand dollars a year. Right now, you can work. 15 years before you hit 60K. 
um, as a principal in North Carolina. Well, wow. Kyle, let me ask you this: it, There was obviously there was some controversy as the Senate finished with their 3 a.m. budgets. I think you had a, you just filed a story that all those cuts we had Senator Erica Smith Ingram on the show talking about it were all reversed, right? Yeah, and you know I think some of that ends up being a bargaining chip. Uh, you put a lot of things in the budget that the other chamber doesn't like, uh, and then it's, you get some more of what you want when you agree to take that stuff out. And of course that was put into last minute and sort of a uh, perhaps a bit of retribution to Democrats for uh, prolonging the debate. Uh, certainly, Erica Smith Ingram's district up in northeastern North Carolina was hard hit, but the uh, Eastern North Carolina STEM summer program back in the budget, uh, funding is back for some of the early college high schools up in that area. So uh, she's very happy. I talked to her uh, just the other day about uh, how things come out, and I think she actually voted for the budget uh, when it comes to right. the Senate. Did you see? Did you sense? You mentioned that about sort of payback. I mean, you sense there's. I mean, you kind of look through, and there's some some things that kind of jump out. And the UNC School of Law was one. Seemed kind of interesting. There was a look. I've heard myself a lot of discussion about these district office cuts, uh, yeah. sort of targeted so that a few superintendents that maybe they would wish would uh, stop talking about the cuts. Did you pick up on those same kinds of things? There's feelings? a little bit of that, um, and certainly there's a number of things in the budget that are clearly aimed at uh, Governor Roy Cooper and taking away from stuff from him. He apparently, his office oversees an education uh, grant program that's being taken away from him and put into the Department of Public Instruction, so that's another uh, thing there where you're seeing some efforts to push things, take things from the Democrat and give them to a department controlled by Republican. Uh, what else on the um, uh, school choice was sort of a hallmark of this, this budget. What are you looking at? Uh, the education savings accounts, those made it into the final budget First time deal. we've ever had them here in North First Carolina. First time we've had them in North Carolina. Um, if you don't know what they are, they're kind of like vouchers. So um, education savings accounts, they have them in about, f I think, five other states in the U.S. Um, they're kind of like the crown jewel of school choice. So basically, instead of putting your kid on a bus, they go to public school. The parent gets $9,000 a year to spend on their child's education, and that can go to public school, it can go to a private school, can go towards uh, educational experiences, right. transportation. Well, we'll watch for your coverage on that, because unfortunately we are out of time. We're going to have to dig a lot more into those things, but look, we appreciate Colin. Thanks so much for being here. Jess, thank you. Thank you for covering and helping thank us you. all understand. We appreciate it. Thanks. After the break, this week's Leadership Spotlight. Each week, Education Matters spotlights uh, individuals uh, demonstrating leadership in North Carolina. Today, we're going to show you Nishonda Cook in Durham. Leadership Spotlight is presented by the NC STEM Center, strategies that engage minds. We know that there's a reading achievement gap. We know there are African-American males who are falling far behind their peers and, and between the cracks, how can we address that? We knew if we built the children's confidence and we gave them experiences and had mentors and were able to have conversations with men who look like them, that that confidence would help build them up. Educators know what our children need. Just allow us to give that to them. And that's what this program has allowed uh, Ms. Cook to do, is to really give the children what we know they need. The Men of Honor here at Eno Valley is for young African-American boys so that they can see what they can achieve in life. The mentors come from all over. Our college students come from UNC at Chapel Hill in the Minority Men of Medicine program, and they come and they help them out with homework, they play basketball with them, football with them. They also do different activities with them to help them connect what they're learning now to what they're doing in school. 
We bring people into our school. We don't wait for the boys to connect with police officers in a negative way. I think you have to create a relationship early on so you can learn that everybody deserves respect. Everybody's life is valuable. They come to me and they are, they're starting to be conscious about the decisions that they're making. Their teachers come to me and talk about how their grades have shown progress and how you know they're helpful to classmates. I have little sisters who come up to me and say, thank you for teaching my little brother how to be nicer to me. I want them to think about who they are and what others think when they say their name. I want them to walk away knowing the possibilities that they have, that nothing can stop them. No current situation that they're living in, no one disrespecting them, no one who doesn't believe in them. I want them to walk away thinking, I believe in myself. I know I'm respectful. I know I will be a college graduate, and that's all that I need to be able to achieve my goals. And others will get on board and realize that, you know, I'm going to do this, you know, one way or another with or without their help. Other schools need to look into having a program such as this. Whatever it may look like, whatever small or large scale that they can do, it brings the community into the school, which is amazing, which is what a public education is about. Once people see what's going on in our public schools, they will understand that this really is where education happens and how positive it is and what needs to happen to make sure we have what we need for public education. If you know someone who deserves to be recognized, please visit our website, ncforum.org, and click on Education Matters, and you'll find a link to nominate someone in your community. After the break, this week's final word. You heard from our first guest representing teachers and school leaders, the hits and misses from their perspective on the state budget. I'll share with you some of my thoughts as a final word. The investment in principal and assistant principal pay is a good first step and one that was long overdue. North Carolina had already dropped to an embarrassing 50th nationally. The legislature also took additional steps to increase teacher pay, which is good, but teachers also need tools to do their job. They've learned over the last few years how to do more with less, less classroom resources, less in teacher assistance, less in professional development. We need to reverse those trends. But probably the most troubling aspect of the state budget is the continued drive toward privatization of public education in North Carolina that mirrors what the Trump administration and Education Secretary DeVos are seeking on a national basis. The North Carolina Opportunity Scholarship Program, our state's program that uses taxpayers' dollars to send students to private, mostly religious schools, continues to get funded at remarkable levels given the program's scant track record. This budget nearly doubles funding for vouchers for this year. This was a year where the program budget went from $24 million to $44 million and then up to $54 million the next year. The General Assembly is on pace to spend more than $1 billion in taxpayer dollars on this program in 10 years with few requirements for financial reporting and basically non-existent ways to measure academic success of its students. The North Carolina House budget had included language to require every voucher student to take the Iowa test of basic years each year to give parents some information about how the school was doing compared to other schools. But even that minimal requirement was removed in the budget conference and replaced with a task force to study the possibility of accountability. It's really quite unbelievable given the amount of scrutiny and testing that our public schools, its students and teachers have to endure every year that tens of millions of dollars are being sent to private schools with such shockingly low oversight. 
I can't fathom that the General Assembly accepting, would accept this from anything else funded by taxpayers. And they top it off this year by adding a brand new voucher type program, personal education saving accounts to have even less accountability. Now how best to measure the academic results can be debated and discussed, but certainly we should all be able to agree that spending $1 billion in taxpayers' money ought to require transparency and accountability. That's frankly just being good stewards of our money. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for watching and make sure you tune into the next Education Matters where we continue to explore education in North Carolina.